Father, thank you so very much, Lord, for the Passover and that we get to celebrate the Passover, not just because you delivered uh, Israel from Egypt, but because you delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and into your marvelous light. And God, I just pray that you'll move on the hearts of women this morning. Help us to have ears that are open to what your spirit is wanting to tell us and eyes that will see what you want to show us and to see the love that you have for us, Father, in providing that perfect lamb. Just thank you and give you praise for all the women that you've brought here today. Pray that you would be with Sue as she brings to us your word. And Lord, I just ask that, um, that Lord, you would just help us all to celebrate the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Morning, everybody. Morning. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thanks. Passover. They finally get it. Wow, what a huge event we're covering today. And I'm sure you, you, it rocked your soul as you did the Bible study because this is an incredible um, event in the history of the entire Bible, not just the book of Exodus. God is supernaturally um, rescuing and redeeming his people Israel. But as Dr. Phil says, every pancake has two sides, no matter how, how, how thin it is. And on the other side of God's supernatural redemption and rescue of Israel is Egypt's 9-11. Because that whole nation was rocked by God's supernatural judgment um, and attack on the whole country. Nobody was left unaffected. And as much as 9-11 hit the United States hard, I have a feeling that Egypt was hit even harder back in these days. This morning, I hope to connect the dots for you between what we studied in Exodus and Jesus and between what we studied in Exodus and us today. There's a lot of dot connecting going on. First, let's talk about Pharaoh's final warning from God through Moses. The final and tenth horrible, horrible plague. God says that Pharaoh's not just going to release his people, he is going to expel them. See, all up to this time, Pharaoh had insisted that he was not going to let them go. He did not know who he was up against. And so... God says, not only is he going to let you go, but uh, I am going to bless you like crazy with your neighbors. And so God instructs the Israelites through Moses to do the first ever trick or treat, um, to go to their neighbors and ask for gold, silver, jewels, fabric, all kinds of goodies. And because God gave favor to the Israelites as they went to their neighbors, they finally got their pay for all the slaving that they had done without pay. They went out of Egypt full of plunder from that country. And this was how God equipped them to have lots to give when it came time to create and furnish the tabernacle and its furniture and its uh, furnishings and its utensils and then to clothe the, um, the priests. 
They got all of that from Egypt. How many of you sleep, sleep on Egyptian cotton sheets? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was big back then. It's still big today. And some of that went with Israel out of Egypt. God gave favor to the Israelites in the eyes of the Egyptian, including Moses, who was universally respected and valued. In doing so, God reversed the shame of being slaves by giving the Israelites honor as the Egyptians were more than willing for them to leave. Instead of, well, I don't know if I want to give you stuff. They're like, go, 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 get out of here. This is horrible for us. They were very enthusiastically helping Pharaoh say, leave. And then for this horrible plague, God tells Pharaohs that all the firstborn in Egypt will die. Why? So that you may know that the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. Firstborn sons were symbolic of a nation's strength and vigor. They were also those through whom the family line descended. And so when the firstborn sons, the best of what Egypt had to offer, when they died, it was a horrible attack on Egypt. See, Pharaoh had decreed that male children of Israel should be murdered. And so God turned around and said, okay, now I'm going to repay you, Egypt, for this travesty. He said that there would be a huge outcry of grief throughout the entire land of Egypt. But in Goshen, where God's people lived, God said not even a dog would bark. Egypt had made Israel cry, and now God was, Israel's God was going to make Egypt cry. There was going to be a grief unlike anything that the world had ever seen before, because God's powerful like that. So then we move into instructions for the Passover in chapter 12. This Passover celebration wasn't just for the one night. It was supposed to be celebrated every year, and it would be, um, until the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, with the exception of the years that they were in exile. First thing God said to do about Passover is reset your calendars to zero. When you leave Egypt, that's when we're going to be at zero again, and we're going to start the clock with the, the first month will be your, your, your month of Passover. Why? Because Everything was changing. They had been um, slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They didn't know how to live as free people. They didn't know how to worship Yahweh. They hadn't heard from him in 400 years. Everything was going to change. And it started with their calendar. And then God gives instructions for the sacrificial lamb. And this is important to us because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. John announced when Jesus came, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God from Exodus was pointing forward to the Lamb of God of the New Testament. When Jesus left heaven, came to earth, wrapped himself in human flesh, became a human being, showed us what his father is like, and became the Son of God. 
Here's what he said to do about the lamb, and this is probably very familiar to you if you did your lesson. First of all, select a lamb one year old. What's the significance of a one-year-old lamb? That's when they reached maturity and they were at their height of vim and vigor and vitality, which is what Jesus was at around age 30 to 33. So that lamb was at the best it was ever going to be just as Jesus was. It was to be unblemished, without defect. And that was pointing forward to the Lamb of God who is completely without sin. And they were given instructions to not break any bones in the lamb. And that is because when Jesus hung on the cross, he was protected from them breaking any of his bones as well. There are so many ways in which God is connecting the dots between Exodus and the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, they said, choose a lamb. Bring it into your family. For four days, that lamb became part of the family. They would get emotionally attached to it. The lambs would be cherished and mourned when they were slaughtered. God wanted the sacrifice to be precious to his people. Just as Jesus left heaven and entered the world and made emotional attachments to people, the son was precious to his father, and he became precious to some other human beings as well. The Israelites were told to slaughter the, the lambs in late afternoon or early evening. Actually, the Hebrew says between the two evenings, which came to mean in the afternoon. Afternoon, it was, it was the march toward evening and um, the, the nighttime. So between the two evenings would be actually about mid-afternoon. And when did Jesus die? Three o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slaughtered for our sin, there there were thousands of sacrificial Passover lambs being slaughtered at the exact same time in preparation for the Passover dinners that were going to be happening that night. The the symbolism is crazy great from this. 1 Corinthians 5-7 says that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And that's making it super clear that one of the reasons for the Passover was to release and redeem the imprisoned Israelites, but it was also to point forward to when Jesus would die as a sacrifice for us. The people were to slaughter the lamb and bleed it out, let let it bleed out. They would slice the carotid artery and that the heart would pump out the blood into a basin. And the people were to take a hyssop branch, which because of the way that it looks is great for dipping in and it would collect a lot of liquid and they would sprinkle. Uh, Later on, we'll see in the Old Testament that the priests would use hyssop branches for sprinkling different things. But God told the people on Passover to dip a hyssop branch into the basin with the blood and apply it to the lintel, which is the part of the door, over the door, and the doorposts of the home where people were gathered to eat the Passover. And then that night, when the angel of death, when the destroyer came through along with Yahweh, and he saw the the blood surrounding the doorway of the believing Jews, 
He would pass over that house and no one would die. But in every single home in Egypt, Scripture says the people were affected. And when there was no blood around the doorway of the Egyptian homes, the firstborn son was killed. Where this connects to Jesus is that the blood of the Lamb of God is precious. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he absorbed all the sin of the entire world. Everyone who had ever lived, starting with Adam and Eve, everyone who was alive on the planet at that point, everyone who would ever live, and that's all of us in this room, um, all of our sin was placed on Jesus, and he absorbed it. The Bible says he actually became sin for us. And when he died, our sin died too. There was no more obstacle between God and man. When the Bible talks about Jesus' blood, it's not because God's got this thing for gore. It's because it's a reference to the fact that the Bible says that the life is in the blood. And when Jesus gave up, shed his blood, he died in our place for us. We are protected from God's wrath against sin in the same way that the Israelites were protected from the angel of death the night of the Passover. Leviticus 17.11 says that for the life of the flesh is in the blood and God is speaking. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. That's how the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. His blood took away the obstacle of sin between God and us. The whole ritual of dipping the hyssop branch into the blood, putting it on the doorways, signified to the Jews that the blood of a sinless, divinely appointed substitute cleansed their sins and resulted in them being set apart or sanctified to God. Uh, Several years ago, our pastor, Todd Wagner, um, did something that, Gave me goosebumps then, and it gave me goosebumps again when I saw it yesterday. They found this clip for me. I hope this changes everything for you. How about this? Let's move from the patriarchs over there to the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. You've got the people in bondage in Egypt, and, uh, and they're there. And, uh, and God says, I'm going to deliver you out of not the oppression of Pharaoh, but something even greater is going to happen with you. And so there they are in Egypt, and he says, uh, what I want to do is, is I want you guys to know that I'm about to bring judgment on Egypt and all the wicked that are in Egypt. And by the way, Israel, you're part of the wickedness that's in Egypt. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to make provision for you that know me, the children of promise. And so you all take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and every family was to take a lamb into their house, have a personal relationship with that lamb. That lamb lived in their house with them. And as they were there, then after about a set number of days, on the night of Passover, uh, that wasn't called Passover yet, but on the given night, on the 14th day of a said month, all of Israel was to take their lamb that they had a personal relationship with, take it out, and in front of the house that they lived in, which obviously did not have doors like this, but it'll do for illustration purposes. They're to slit Fluffy's throat right there in the well of the door. Fluffy. And so you can imagine the little girl says, Daddy, what are you doing to our little lamb? That perfect little lamb that we love. He must die. No, why? Because we will be sheltered underneath this sacrifice. And when death comes through the camp, watch this. They were told, this is beautiful, take some of the blood 
and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Now watch this. A lintel is a beam of stone or wood that goes over the door and the two doorposts. You slaughter the lamb. You take a hyssop branch. You dip it in the door basin right there, and you take it up, and you put some blood right there, and you take that blood, and you put some over here on this doorpost, and you put some over here in this doorpost, and then you go inside. Thousands of years before there was ever such a thing as a cross as an instrument of death, do you know what every single person of faith hid behind? The blood of the Lamb and the sign of a cross. That may not meant much to Israel as they walked out, but they saw cross after cross after cross after cross. You took that blood up, you took it over, and you took it that way. You think God's a good teacher? Is that not amazing? I recently learned that for those of you who are doing the Join the Journey with us, Hope from the Journey, um, my friend who was 25 years a, a, a lesbian activist in Seattle and she became a Christian about six years ago, um, her partner is Jewish and they would always go to the temple for the Jewish high holidays. She told me that at Passover they would recreate a door and they would do the exact same thing Todd did. This is a Jewish temple. They were making red crosses on the door with the blood of the, the, the uh, substitutionary blood of the lamb as, as paint. And they because there was a veil hiding them from the truth, they didn't see that they were making the sign of the cross of Yeshua, the Messiah. When... when when Hope saw Todd make the red cross on the door, she's like, I've seen this before in a Jewish temple. I'm just, I was blown away. So that's what the Jews left behind when they left Egypt, was all these homes with red crosses on the doors. Another thing that they were told to do was to roast the lamb by fire, not boil it, not poach it, not... You know, actually, they needed to leave it whole. It needed to have the legs. The innards was there. The, the, the head was there. It was to maintain its, its very clear um, appearance as an animal. Why were they told to roast the lamb, put it in over the fire before they ate it? Because Jesus faced the fiery trial of the passion, the scourging. The, the whippings, and then horribly, finally, the crucifixion. And they were told to eat the lamb along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Leaven is a biblical symbol for sin. And they were told to, first of all, eat, eat bread with no leaven in it because they, there was to be no, uh, they were to get rid of sin, but also because they were in a hurry to get out of there, and there's no time to let bread rise. So it was to be unleavened bread, which is matzah crackers. The bitter herbs that they were to eat was a, a, a literally physical um, taste sensation reminder of the bitterness of their life before God rescued and redeemed them. And they were told, leave nothing till morning. Burn it all in the fire. There were to be no leftovers. They weren't going to be there the next day. 
And there were no, there were no refrigerators to, to put leftover lamb in the Tupperware. But this was a very special sacrificial meal. And finally, they were told to eat this Passover meal dressed to travel. Have your travel clothes on. Make sure that there's sandals on your feet. Have your, your walking staff in your hands and eat fast. This is the origin of fast food. Right here, <laughs> the very first Passover. They had to be ready to leave at a moment's notice because God was doing something huge to dislodge them from their captivity. Being dressed to move and get out of town quickly was a choice and a statement of faith. Someone pointed out that um, there were three, there were the possibility for three different responses in the land of Egypt, including Goshen, that night. You've got people, because Egypt was, was knowing what, uh, what Moses had, had told everybody. There were Egyptians who would say, yeah, so they're supposed to kill this lamb and eat it and put this cross on the door, and that is stupid. That is stupid. Why would anybody do such a ridiculous thing? And those people that acted out of unbelief and rebellion experienced horrible pain in their family. The people that said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. And then there were the Israelites who said, God told us to do this, and I don't really understand what's going on, and I'm not sure that it's going to do anything, but I do want to obey, and my, my faith is really kind of shaky, but I'll, I'll do it. I don't, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'll, I'll do it. And then there were the Israelites who had watched the nine other plagues and went, Yahweh is God. He is so powerful. I am putting in my lot with him. And they dressed up to, to travel. They ate the Passover meal. Now, the angel of death didn't come till, um, till midnight. If you've got little kids in the house, they're going to be really tired long before midnight. And I'm thinking that these moms and dads gathered their little children to them. And when the kids fell asleep, the moms and dads who were putting their faith in Yahweh and they were strong in their, um, in their trust of Yahweh, they were able to just fall asleep along with their kids. These people in the middle were probably like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen all night. And then, of course, when at midnight, when the screams and the cries and the horror of all that death happened, they were probably very, very nervous. But in both of these homes, the middle chair and this, this other chair, what happened? They were protected. There was no death in those, in those homes. It wasn't about how strong the people's faith was. It was about the power and the strength of the God that they worshiped. And I just want to encourage you that if you are doing your best to trust God, but you feel like your faith is kind of shaky, it's not about your faith. It's about the God that you have faith in. And so these people in the middle chair who had shaky faith, they were protected, and their firstborns did not die. Put your, your, your trust in the Lord, and don't freak out about, is it a one or a ten? Just trust God. The attack on the firstborn in Egypt was, was also an attack um, and a judgment on the gods of Egypt. 
Osiris was the God that was thought to be the giver of life. So what does God do? I'm just going to take away the life of every single firstborn male, not just the people, but the animals. And then, of course, Pharaoh was a false god as well. And so was his son. So what does God do? I'm going to hit you where it really hurts, Pharaoh, and I'm going to show you are no God at all. You are just a creature. And your son, your firstborn son that is being celebrated as a God, oh no, he's just a creature, just like you are. There was a great cry in Egypt. Pharaoh and the Egyptians had made God's children cry, and now he made them cry. It was an amazing night for them to experience. And God said, one time is not enough. And so he gave them instructions to make this a perpetual memorial, to be celebrated and remembered every single year. There was not only the Passover dinner, there was also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is what the Last Supper, this was happening at the Last Supper. When Jesus gathered in the upper room with his disciples, they were doing this Passover Seder, the Passover dinner. Let's walk through some stages of what was happening during the Last Supper um, and for the nation of Israel as they would remember the Passover. First of all, to prepare, they had to go through seven days of eating bread without yeast. As I mentioned, yeast is a symbol of sin, and it's a time of self-reflection and cleansing. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, Clean out the old leaven, the yeast, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Interestingly, Paul wrote that to Gentiles. But there are still lessons to be learned from the Old Testament Passover. The Passover meal was reenacted every year as Israel remembered, as a community of faith, as a corporate body, God's faithfulness to rescue, redeem, and reveal himself. And so this Last Supper with with Jesus and the um, disciples, they were following through on God's intention that that they do this in remembrance of God. So they were to, remember, select a one-year-old lamb, unblemished lamb, four days before the Passover. Do you know what happened four days before the Passover, according to the New Testament? That's the triumphal entry, where Jesus showed that he was the Father's selected lamb to be the unblemished sacrifice for the nation, as the people called out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As he made the triumphal entry into into Jerusalem, that was the father saying, you are the lamb of God, I have chosen you. And then there were four ritual cups of wine during this dinner. There was a prayer recited over each cup. And I'm not sure if in Jesus' day, but in today, when there is a Passover Seder, there is basically a, um, a, dire- a set of directions that people read along called the um, Haggadah. And the, um, the leader would read, 
As we read through the Haggadah, we will drink from the cup of the fruit of the vine four times. These four cups stand for the four I wills that are recorded in Exodus 6, 6 and 7. Now take a peek back on page 17 of your Bible study and look at the question that you answered several weeks ago about the I wills. We're going to watch them come to life. As you're doing that, let me tell you that there was a ritual hand washing um, as part of the Passover Seder. And the Bible tells us that Jesus got up from the table and he went and washed the disciples' feet just to show that instead of, he was the host for that evening, but he acted as the chief servant because he turned everything upside down. Then he comes back to sit down for the first cup, the cup of sanctification. And before each of the cups of wine, the father or the host would say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And he would pray over the first cup, this cup of sanctification, and remember the first I will. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And they remembered what God had promised that he was going to do. That's what the first cup, which they would not only pray over, but then they would drink. Um, There would either be four cups or glasses on the table, or they would have one glass and fill it four times. After they would drink from the first cup, they would eat bitter herbs together. And these would be shared around the table. The food, the, the, the dinner type food, would be removed from the table. And as they were eating these bitter herbs, four questions would be asked by the youngest son or the youngest participant in the, the dinner. And the father would explain the answers to the questions, helping people understand what the Passover was all about. I'm not going to go into that, but it's fascinating. Then comes, after these four um, questions get answered, the father would pray over the second cup, which is the cup of judgment or deliverance. And he would say, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. In our culture, we go, he already said that. Yeah, but repetition is so, so powerful for inscribing things on our hearts. He's going to say it four different times. That second cup, if you look back at your, at your lesson, God promised, I will deliver you from their bondage, from the bondage of Egypt. So that the second cup was the, the cup of deliverance. And then they would eat dinner. And part of eating dinner was a prayer over the bread by the father or the host. And he would pray, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to eat unleavened bread. And then the host would take the unleavened bread and break it into pieces and pass it around. And everyone would partake of the unleavened bread. The thing about matzah is that um, it is a very strong visual aid 
for what was pointing forward to Jesus as our Savior. The masa, this cracker, is bruised. If you take a look at the um, at the the caramelized, darkened areas, you, they look like bruises. It is striped. You see that there are um, stripes are created because of the shape of it, and it's pierced. They poke holes in the matzah bread, which reminds us of Isaiah 53, 5, which says, speaking of the Messiah to come, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we are healed. When Jesus took the unleavened bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples, guess what he said? I am, he had told them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And in Matthew 26, we read that while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. What he's saying is, for thousands of years, this unleavened bread that, were, that was eaten during the Passover dinner was pointing to me. I am the fulfillment of this bread of life. It's about being bruised and um, pierced and striped. And then we come to the third cup the cup of blessing or redemption. And to the Jews, this third cup symbolized the blood of the lamb. And so the father would say the thank you prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And then he recited the third verb from um, Exodus 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And as we look at the accounting of the Last Supper in the upper room, we read that when Jesus had taken a cup and given thanks, that's that, oh, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. Thank you for making the fruit of the vine. That's what that's referring to. Jesus said that. And after he gave thanks, he gave the cup to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. With the third cup, Jesus was inaugurating a new covenant. He was saying, the old covenant, you guys broke, but I am going to to make this promise on steroids between God and man, and I'm inaugurating it, and I will make sure that it never gets broken. During the third cup, we hear him um, say, drink this up. This is my blood. And then there's the fourth cup, the cup of praise or restoration. And the host would say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And then he would recite, um, remember Exodus 6, God's fourth I will promise. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. When Jesus said, I will take you as my people, and you'll be mine, and I will be yours, that's wedding language. 
And sure enough, Jesus said, this fourth cup, I am not going to drink of it with you until I bring, drink it in my Father's kingdom. And he was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. In heaven, when we, as the bride of Christ, are married to Jesus, the Lamb, he's going to have the fourth cup at our wedding feast. There is a wedding ahead for all of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ. I am very excited about that. One of my identities is God's party girl. I am all in. If whenever there's a party in scripture, I I want to be part of that. And I get to be a bride again. I love that. Um, So Jesus is holding off on this fourth cup of praise and restoration until he can drink it with us as we are his bride. The Passover memorial helped the people remember and understand their redemption from Egypt. We get to do the same thing when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate communion. We remember and understand our redemption from sin. Very similar remembering um, process. Finally, let me just say that the blood offering made at Passover 2,000 years ago fulfilled all blood offerings for all time. They don't do, they don't sacrifice the lamb anymore because when Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70, the worship at the temple was done away with. And I believe that was God coming in and saying, there is no reason to do the Passover celebration anymore, to, to, to sacrifice the lamb as you have been doing it in the past because Jesus is the lamb of God and he was sacrificed for our sins. Not only did he die, but he was raised from the dead. Celebrate him, worship him, trust in him. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My question is, has he taken away your sin? Because if you are a human being, you came into this world as a sinner. You inherited that sin gene from your father Abraham and your mother Eve through your parents. And all of us are born into this world desperately needing a Savior. And Jesus came to be our Savior, to die on the cross in our place so that we would not have to be separated from God forever. If we trusted in him, he would connect us back up with God, the Father in heaven. If you walked in here today not having trusted in Jesus as your Lamb of God, if Jesus has not um, covered you with his blood because you've been in the first chair going, that's stupid, I don't have to do that, or simply saying, I don't know what that is about, What? that's crazy, Let me invite you to make this the point at which you step over the line and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God's only son, the lamb of God who loved you and gave himself for you and was raised from the dead three days later to prove that that God accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. But not only that, Jesus went to heaven 40 days later, but he sent his spirit to come and bring his spirit to live inside of us. Anyone who has put their trust in Christ is not alone. We have Jesus Christ living inside of us. Amazing. Don't you want that? I would want that. I've loved that for 42 years. Jesus has been inside of me, shining out like a light 
shining through the window. That is my life. And I want to invite you to step over the line and trust Jesus the same way. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you close your eyes? If your heart is pounding because you walked in here today not knowing that you are loved by God and going to heaven because Jesus took the penalty for your sin and has given you his life, this is your time. And I just want to encourage you that in the quiet of your own heart that you you tell God, oh, God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me and to show me what you're like. I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust you the same way the Israelites trusted God in the Old Testament by putting the lamb, the blood of the lamb on the door of their homes. I want to put the blood of the lamb of God on the door of my heart. I just want to open up the door of my heart to you, Jesus, and ask you, please forgive me of my sins. Make me into the woman you made me to be. Fill me up with yourself. Fill that God-shaped hole in my heart. Make me into the person I've always wanted to be but didn't know how to get there, the one you made me to be. I trust in you, Jesus. Make everything new like you did for the Israelites when they reset the calendar to zero. I pray that this would be the day that my whole life becomes new. In Jesus' name, amen.